Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets fans? Back here for episode number 76 of the Mets Up Podcast, a highly, highly anticipated episode. Me and James are super excited to do this one with you guys today. We have Trevor May, relief pitcher for the New York Mets, coming on. First ever MLB player on the Mets Up Podcast. We have an hour-long conversation coming up with him where we talk about the lockout, the Mets, the future of baseball, what he does on Twitch, his gaming, his YouTube, social media. We cover it all with Trevor May. It is something you have to listen to. You have to watch it. If you want to watch us, YouTube, Mets Up Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're going to be posting all over there. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you can find us, make sure you're following us, giving us a five-star rating, giving us a review, as well as dropping a follow to me and James, at GiraffeNickMark, at JeterHadNoRange. And without further ado, let's bring in Trevor May of the New York Mets. Excited for this podcast. It's going to be electric. All right, so here he is, Mets reliever Trevor May. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, really excited. You are the first major league player that we have had on the Mets Up podcast. Uh, how's it feel to have such a, a big honor on you here? Huge. It's huge. It's a big day for the America, <laughs> big day for us. Um, no, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I like doing these things. These are, these are fun. Of course, man. Really glad to have you on. And Mark didn't say it before off air, but your plaque is going to come in the mail as being the first ever Mets player to be on the Mets Up podcast. I'll be, uh, I'll be looking for that. You know, that along with my plaque for throwing 100 miles an hour. That still hasn't shown up, but uh, hopefully someday it will. <laughs> yes, and of course, today with baseball, a lot of stuff going on right now. Of course, we have the lockout, which is still looming, and apparently this week we're going to be having a full week of labor negotiations. Now, for me and James' perspective, we've been talking about the lockout all offseason long, and we've been very pro-player, of course. We think, you know, just that you guys, what you're asking for is not un- unheard of. It's not ridiculous. And what we've seen from the owner's side and, you know, MLB in general has been a little bit standoffish, not a lot of whole, whole lot of negotiating going on. Um, just wanted to kind of pick your brain and, and what you're thinking about this whole labor process as a player because we really haven't had that perspective. Um, first and foremost, I... I... At first, um, and I've taken this stance a little bit too much, I think, in the last few years with handling, just talking to these guys about changing things because there's been a lot. There's been a lot of changes to the game of baseball, especially in the last three years. Um, a lot have been, has been just kind of unilaterally. A lot's been done arbitrarily, in my opinion. A lot's been just kind of like throwing stuff against the wall, um, and there's been very little interest in collaborating on anything um and that's frustrating um because we're supposed to be in this together uh but i think that you know a lot of people have negative thoughts of any sort of labor dispute uh over baseball how close everything's gotten to you know just everything falling apart and but when it comes down to it um 
you know, we're, we've notoriously been, at least for the last 30 years, is one of the strongest unions in sports, if not the strongest. And we've worked very, very hard to get a lot of good things, uh, setting it up because of the nature of our game. And, and generally, our careers need to be longer than other sports in order to uh, um, make, you know, that retirement money. Uh, being able to stop playing and feel feeling pretty secure in where you're at. Uh, we, you know, we go to free agency after six years. Every other sport is three. At least every major American sport is three. So uh, in order to do that, uh, a lot of liberties or a lot of things have to be pretty uh, pretty open and uh, on, on the ability to make lots of money and no salary caps and things of that nature. That's where that comes from. So uh, we had to have this fight before. Um, you know, uh, the original, we weren't unionized and then we had to have the fight to get unionized. And then, uh, in the nineties, we had to fight again, uh, to get a lot of the things that we have now. We've taken a lot of them, uh, for granted. And I get that a lot from people. They say, Hey, you know, don't you guys have enough? You make, you know, I get my salary quoted to me because it's immediately public. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but, uh, billionaire salaries aren't public. Uh, uh, so all my, everyone knows exactly how much money I make at all times, which makes making a case very hard sometimes, but, uh, I wouldn't be given those things had someone before me not fought. So it's important that when you see, uh, uh, endemic problems that can be, can be exacerbated over long periods of time and you need to call them out and then try to fix them when you have opportunities to do that. We only get that opportunity once every five years and we're trying to take advantage of it. And we also feel like maybe, we, we, we saw some trends happening five years ago. We didn't address them, hoping that they weren't actually as bad as we thought they would be. They ended up being worse. Namely, um, uh, the role analytics has played in finding value in player development early in careers and getting lots of value out of young players. Um, and then uh, rotating those players out of your organization before they're before they're expensive. Um, I think that the like for example the Tampa Bay Rays do that very well um, in yeah. terms of a developmental system and and working within the money that you have. And I understand that markets are different. Like you have to find ways to compete when you don't have as much money as other teams. Then that's I think that's how it started. But now the teams with money are also starting to follow that model. And, uh, um, that's, it's important that teams with money and as, as every team continues to get more valuable, that they spend that money in improving their team. And, and there's just too many ways to just not spend any money and write it off and continue to make profit. Um, and that's a broken system. Uh, and that's not great for the labor. So we are fighting now and it's important to do that. So that was a very long way of saying it's important to have these, these, these fights it's important to push back on each other and call out things when especially negotiation tactics and things of that nature when people aren't on the same page as you or they're not showing that they actually care about the the what should be cared about the game um and being custodians of the game and growing the game and making sure that it's still an enjoyable process or enjoyable thing for players not players sorry well actually i would like to enjoy it too but for fans <laughs> and for the entertainment side of things we are an entertainment industry it's like making movies and then fighting over everything and not worried about making good movies so like that we've kind of got off track there and i hope we can get back but um it is still important to if you're going to have a fight have it um and just Go in on it and make sure you get stuff done while you're doing it. So hopefully those cog, those wheels start to turn a little bit this week. You talked about uh, the public perception of the lockout and just players in general asking for a lot, seemingly having a lot. And you've kind of, your major league career has like run the gamut of being like a high draft pick, a top prospect, going all the way down, reinventing yourself as a reliever, and now getting that big contract I'm sure you're always looking for. Have you noticed that during 
this labor negotiation compared to five years ago that public perception is different or shifting in any way? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, well, five years ago, I mean, Twitter wasn't the wasn't quite the cesspool it is now. Um, <laughs> there's, 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 it's just. I, it's it's a way to sound off um, on every single little thing. Uh, I try. I, I I ran in that 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 circle for five years. My like during those five years, I was I was in that group just defending every little thing and jumping on people for having to like I was I, I would engage way too much on stupid stuff. And uh, so uh, if anything, it's helped me personally grow a little bit to not worry about so much of that those things because there's just so much stuff that doesn't matter. But um, public perception has gone swayed wildly in a bunch of different directions but i think that i think that in general like i i, I do notice that it's really really i mean I, I understand that all of our our salaries are public and we're we're wealthy people like baseball players are wealthy generally especially the ones that are loudest and probably the, the leaders generally get the get to be leaders because they got there and they've been around for a long time and in order to be around a long time you have to make some money you're going to make some money if you're around for a long time so those people tend to have more money than the people who aren't as loud that's necessarily how baseball or sports in general work the younger guys don't aren't usually as loud as the older guys so um it's it's we get people like hey why should i listen to you but then anything you apply to us in terms of having enough money this or like being wealthy blah blah, blah you can just literally apply that to the other side times a hundred so like every single case made against us in that way like how much money is enough blah blah, blah. well let's ask all of those same questions to the people with you know um 1000 times more money like you know there's certain there's some people have more art uh value uh you know in their collection than the entire payroll like you know what i mean like there's you can make yeah. lots of those anecdotes and things um there's nothing wrong with that it's just i can't you can't get behind the idea that like you know uh we want all these things because running a business is hard but it, that business isn't and has proven, at least on a monetary side, there's very little like getting close to breaking even one year. Like nobody's gotten close <laughs> to breaking even in almost half of a century. So it's like, I can't, that's not an argument. So as a, as a player who is on one side, it's very hard for me to see like what the goal is for a lot of things being asked for other than we want more power to do what we want to do, AKA changing the game whenever they want, AKA moving players around whenever they want, because uh, it's hard not to feel like a commodity anyways, because we are um, by every sense of that word we are. And that's, but we would like a little bit of hu like the human side of things like, Hey, just like a scooch of like, Hey, we're still, ta we're taking care of you because we should take care of you because you're our employees, not because you're forcing us to take care of you. Like that's, yeah. I'm not feeling that, that respect because of we, we play a game and I, I, I play a kids game for a living. I throw a bit like this. It's, it's so silly. It's silly. It's weird if you think about it, but at the same time, it's like, I also do something that the people who pay me cannot do. They can't, you can't do what I do. Um, and, and, and I don't know if I could do what they did if given enough time, I don't know, but I know for certain they can't do what I do. So that's yeah. th there's a there's a certain like thing there that exists, and when when that doesn't feel like it's being respected, um, in terms of like listening, not even like give me what I want. It's more like I feel we feel like we're not even being listened to, and that's that gets very frustrating. I think that's when we're seeing a lot of uh, fifteen minute meetings, just because you walk in, you say so, hey guys, we weren't even going to counter because you haven't moved at all, but we're going to counter, and then they just say the same thing to you again, like. Imagine your friend or something that just you kept saying something to them and they just refused to acknowledge what you said. That would get very, very frustrating very, very quickly. And we're seeing that hopefully, though, um, 
this week the, that the, we started to be like, okay, our feet are both of our feet are feet are feet <laughs> sets of feet <laughs> are to the fire here. Maybe we should like stop being so stubborn on some some certain certain things, but we'll see what happens, I guess. Well, that's where I was going to lead into next is I know obviously like you can't say either way, but are you feeling a little bit more optimistic with the week of meetings going in, you know, this next week rather than like what's been going on? Like, is there, is there a feeling of optimism at least maybe among the players that something could possibly go out or you don't even have to speak for the players, speak for yourself. I mean, intending to meet regularly, um, more regularly is a step in the right direction just inherently. So, I mean, if you're not, if you are not willing to move at all but you also are willing to schedule meetings every day that doesn't really line up at all doesn't make any sense now there has been things that haven't made sense in the past so but it's much just by the by the the intention itself uh that is that is makes me optimistic uh i i do think it's kind of funny that there's a they're like well we have a week until we want to get four days of spring in says the side that's locked us out it just makes i'm like you have the you have you guys are the one with the power to to start spring don't act like it's on our uh on us just like last time with covid they're like hey guys whenever you just come down to where we want to go we can go you're like well you (laughs) you're the one that that says yes or no and but you're saying well hey if you guys just move then you can force me to say, you know, like it's, that's yeah. just not how things work. So it's just kind of funny to think about it that way. But um, this week's going to be a big week. I think that uh, all the players are down there too. I just, when you're physically there, it's different. Like when there's the more people that are there, the more people's your, your time you're taking, taking, taking up. And uh, that tends to more voices could be good, but it also could, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can get some traction going to where a conversation continues. It's not just like, uh, throw your hands up in the air and then take three days again because that's it's tough yeah it's also so contradictory that they're like we have to make ends meet it's very hard to break even they're like no we don't have to play 162 we're willing to get this deal done we don't we want to make sure we get what we want also just doesn't make any sense at all it just yeah it just it means there's a half truth there's just not a lot of that's not fully forthright and honestly guys if it was 100 percent honest all the time everything wouldn't be such so secretive but yeah. it is um there's money leveraged everywhere. There's other businesses that are using baseball as like, like just that's what's going on. They don't want you going down those rabbit holes. Um, all of these guys own more than just their baseball team. Actually, I'm pretty sure every single owner has a, another business that's actually worth more than the one than their baseball team. It's it's their it's literally everyone's side, side hustle. hustle. <laughs> well, it's, it's like it's funny too how you hear them say, you know, like we operate at a loss and it's like, well, you're not losing money. It's just less than, you know, the previous year or less than you expected. Like the, the jargon is all so much to, yeah, misrepresent everything and try and like sway the narrative, which it's got to be frustrating, of course, from your side. But there have actually been some things that have come out of the lockout that we at least think is going to happen going into the next season. One being the DH. Now, of course, we know that you're a pitcher on the relief side, but you have had three at bats. So as a guy who, you know, has gotten a chance to swing the bat, seeing the DH being a, you know, everyday thing now, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I like it. Um, I think that people don't, actually realize how little that that concept is a big deal to us um in my here's my opinion in the context of this labor thing too the way this works is it the the mlb has wanted more offense since the 2019 juicing of balls that never happened and (laughs) uh and that solves that problem but at the same time for me as a reliever um over a course of a season um if 
you take a handful, if you take 10 games out where a starting pitcher could go out and throw 80 pitches instead of 61 because he got pulled out after the fifth uh, because their AB came up and your team's, it's one-to-one and you're playing your, you know, you're playing your rival or whatever. And so we'd rather pull a guy, use an extra reliever, pull him so we can get a pinch hitter in earlier. That happened. And that happened a lot for us because, you know, um, we were scraping by runs a lot. And I think the guys would say that. So we were just trying to get bats in the lineup as much as possible. And we had a lot of good oppor- good guys on the bench that could come in and were good pinch hitters. We had a lot of good – we had a really good pinch hitting group last year. A lot of guys did produce a lot as pinch hitters. So, bench mob. Yeah, exactly. It was, a, it was a major strength for us too. So you combine those two things. Um, and we saw uh, using one extra lever a, a lot, um, which then – tallies up so as a reliever myself I look up and be like this starter you know we're not saying go 120 pitches every time but every once in a while you know when a guy could go out and throw seven or go throw eight um and when we didn't have Jake for half for half the year who goes eight every single time uh to give give the guys out there just a little bit of a day of um that goes a long way that could give us a week of breathing room right just one extra day where like no one throws uh and so we pay attention to those things so that's like a maybe a a nuance that a lot of people wouldn't realize that I would enjoy, like using a le- one less reliever in a couple games uh, uh, a week or a game a week, is it goes a long way for us uh, in terms of usage. And and then fifteen other guys get an opportunity to play in, in the uh, DH, and I think or to DH, and it also allows you to get guys in um, more regularly uh, in a, in a fashion that allows them to produce. So like you you for us exa- for example, we got Robbie now. And then we got Dom, and then we got uh, 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 Pete. There's a lot of like shuffling now, and then we, and then you, everyone we've added with Canna and with with Escobar that can move around the field. Our flexibility now just goes, you know, it, it solved a lot of problems for us specifically, and we have lots of weapons that can be used on a, so many different ways. Which going into spring training will be a huge weapon for Buck to figure out how to use those things. So we're in a really good spot, I think, in terms of a pool of players and then adding that one extra guy. Now, I love watching JK. Everyone does. It's It was exciting. <laughs> it was a great story. But um, we also had Taiwan Walker just hitting left-handed So because it didn't feel good on his shoulder when he'd swing sometimes. Um, and he instead of, you know, that's the most important thing. you got to be able to pitch. Uh, and so he would rather do that than be uncomfortable on his throwing side uh, or, on sorry, on his glove side uh, and just kind of, did that and he got a couple knocks which was hilarious he's got more knocks left-handed uh even though he's never hit left-handed before than i do in my career um <laughs> but and then it just removes any reason me having to be in a box ever again which i'm i'm for and a lot of people i you know what i gave up on hitting a long time ago i know hitting i loved hitting as a kid hitting is one of the most fun things to ever do in baseball but i'm just so far behind now that i have no intention of of even making contact of the ball once you get to that point then it's no longer fun so i'm good i don't need to just miss me with that, you know. You mentioned a lot of, like, the turnover in the bullpen with, like, using an extra reliever every day because the pitcher had to come up to hit, this and that. Last year, the Mets bullpen saw a lot of churning, especially towards the mid-late summer when it felt like there was three or four new relievers in that pen every day. And that's been, like, a minor point of contention in this negotiation, how many times guys can be shuttled up and down during their option years. But I kind of want to ask you about the social aspect of that as a reliever. Like, what's it like sitting in that bullpen every single day and there could be three or four new relievers there who are going to be up for one day, get sent back down, you never even know if you're going to see half of these guys again? Uh, you just kind of try to find common ground and hang out, man. That's, I mean, I, I remember a specific day. Uh, I think Anthony Bando was with us for eight days or seven days. Um, yeah. And 
uh, Seth Lugo and I were just kind of having a conversation. Um, we, we go about pitching very di like the way we prepare or the things we look at per hitter, like how we want to attack hitters is pr really, really different. Um, but our, the way that we our our process for getting that information and, and, and like studying it is the same. So we both have our own study, our, our own report. So funny. Here's a funny thing about Seth Lugo. A lot of people don't know. He, he, he refuses to use the iPad and he, he has to have a physical printed out copy of a scouting report so he can shuffle them, but it keeps him in <laughs> like, basically he just follows the game along and he can shuffle. So it's like a physical thing. Like he's like the one yeah. in front of me is the guy who's up so he can do that. And the iPad, you lose where you're at. Like it just, it feels more, he feels more engaged. Uh, I asked him about that, but we were talking about pitching. We were just like, talking and the banda popped in and was like asking us some questions of because he was a starter and he's trying to figure out how to stay he wants to stay in the major leagues uh, a lot of young guys who've kind of bounced up have a little bit of time he i believe we were a second team in the big that he'd been in the big leagues with and then he went over to the pirates and threw pretty well i think pretty much he stayed up for the rest of the year with them or pretty close to got a got a good amount of opportunities um after we we were able to talk um Lucchese was another guy we'd have conversations like this with and when he was out there with us at the beginning of the year so I, I like I like that part. I like being able to share my my experiences with guys who are trying to stick because I spent a lot of time working on trying to stick, uh, especially as a reliever. When I got moved to relieving, I was like, "This is how I'm going to stick," uh, at least at the time with just generally how I was go things were going for me. So that's that's the stuff I like. Um, but literally, we've all been there. We've all been around so long that like it's really not that weird. You just go, "Okay, like, hey, what's up?" I'm Usually, like it's been, like for us, the older guys, me, Loop, and Lugo, the guys knew who we were, and then we got to meet them, and then we just hung out, and we were just in a bullpen, and everyone's comfortable being in a bullpen, so that was not foreign, no matter what, what bullpen you're in. And you just find a couple guys to talk to, and before you know it, like Heath Embry came in, and yeah. he was our bud in two days, yeah, because <laughs> we we'd played them, we'd already played them seven times that year, right? So we'd seen him a lot. We talked about those games, and then he just talked about like we got into how unlucky he is because he was insanely unlucky. Last year, like two, it's, the craziest. Stuff was insane last yeah, year. Yeah, it was literally like it was a double or a punchy, and he's like, I, I don't know how every single ball putting play and hit, and it was he was like four hundred batting average balls been play for a long time. So we just kind of made jokes about that because mine has been high for my whole career, and I'm figuring out how to get it lower. Um, and then we, at the contrast to Loop, who Loop couldn't give up a hit if he tried. <laughs> so like they were the opposites in luck, and uh, so that's how we broke the ice there. So you just. You're just a bunch of dudes who are trying to do the same job, and we, you, you give them kind of like a, this is how it is here, man. Expect it. Like, and one of those things was like, no offense, Rich Hill, but he's getting pulled after the fifth no matter what. So get ready to pitch. And he was like, Rich is the most competitive person I've ever met. He was always like, I threw 61 pitches today. I I know I'm old, but I could throw 100. <laughs> yeah, so I know that, you know, this – this past offseason or whatever, brought in a lot of new guys. Scherzer, of course, being the big one. And then on the offensive side, Marte, Escobar, Canna, a couple other names. Um, what do you, like, I mean, you've been able to see Jake DeGrom pitch the last season, be around his bullpens and stuff. Adding a guy like Scherzer, I mean, besides what you think it does to the team, like, is there is there something that you're particularly excited about with Max Scherzer being a part of this team? I want to see how he goes about, because he's, he, he's, He's very confident in all of his pitches. That's one thing that's really interesting to me. Um, and how he got there um, would be something that I think I would like to pick his brain um, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been working on some more stuff. But even my fastball has always been my bread and butter, and I think I, I uh, default to it a little bit too much. Um, and so, like, 
I, I would love to be like, how do you get to where you're just going to throw your slider every single pitch to a guy? Like, how, where does that confidence come from? And it probably comes from Pens, but that's one thing I'll watch and, and get it from from him. Uh, watching Jake, because we do actually have a lot of stuff that's similar, me and Jake, uh, and, and realizing that command is what makes him the, the best. I mean, yes, his stuff's incredible. Uh, um, you know, he's got some of the best stuff in the major leagues, but I would say it, there there are guys who maybe are, are gro- like, at least by the eye test, are grosser. Sometimes, like uh, like if Louis Castillo's on, for example, and you're just watching him cut people up, versus Jake just looks like it's business as usual. Louis looks like he's guys are like confounded, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different thing. But the thing that Jake does so well is his command. So the things I learned, I've learning or to focus on. It's not like necessarily like I need to do that thing that Jake does because I can't physically do a lot of the things Jake does. He's more athletic than me. He just is naturally. Um, and so, but I'm like, if I can get my command to the best version of my command, my stuff will play similarly to his. So I'll get as close to him as I can get. And the thing that's missing, the thing that we're the widest are in the gap, or gap is, is command. So I look at, then I look at Max Scherzer and, like, and the widest thing on gap, the gap with him and me would be his ability to use all of his off speed as his velocity. At times, you know, there's times where he's 92, 93, 94, which he, and he throws as hard as he can every pitch. Um, that's just going to continue to not go down, and he's finding ways to be extremely effective using the other things. And I know that eventually, I'm turning 33 this year. Eventually, 96 is going to be 94 and a half, and then 93, and I'm going to have to be able to to use a lot more off speed stuff, and and that transition is going to happen. So I'm going to watch him and try to. That's where my focus is going to be first. But and then on top of all that, he's just a leader, man, and an absolute gamer. And just does won't don't I don't he doesn't seem like someone who puts up with just stuff that that he doesn't get by like arbitrary no. stuff just stupid stuff he's like nah that's stupid I don't like that and I love he seems all business. business all business yeah and he's like a fierce competitor yes pry pry the ball out of my cold dead fingers type of guy and as a yeah. bullpen guy I want to see I want to see like Buck walking out in the eighth when we're two nothing over the Braves and Max is stomping around the mound at 105, <laughs> 108 pitches, and he will not. He wants to get that last out of the inning or something. I can't wait for that because there's a really good chance I'm warming up. <laughs> so really if, I, if I'm warming up and then he's like, nah, it's me, he goes out and gets it, and then Suge just goes out and gets a save, and I just I get to, you know, I don't get used one day. That goes a long way for me too. So that has lasting implications. Um, and Sergio Romo said this said this best to me and I never really thought about it this way until he said it. He just said that someone called down and he hadn't pitched in four days and they're like, Hey, I want to get you in there. We're up five by five or six or seven or eight or some, some, a lot of them, a bit higher number. And he's the setup guy at the time. And he's like, you we're going to get you in. You pitching while he's like, no, I want to pitch. And he said on the phone, he answered and he said, no, I, 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 I want to pitch as little as possible. If I'm not pitching, things are going good for the most <laughs> part. So just no, I'll, whatever. I'm good. And they're like, okay. And they just put in one of the young guys who hadn't pitched in a while either, <laughs> and he got an opportunity. And so it helped him. And Scherzer was just like, he wasn't going to dance around it. He's just like, day I don't have to pitch because we're winning by a lot or a starter picks us up and goes a long time. Any of those situations, we don't have to find a way to get me in. Like, that's that's the dream right there. So Difficult. Just now you're talking about being a reliever, this and that. You talked about your velocity going down. When you transitioned to becoming a reliever early in your career with Minnesota after the injuries and whatnot, they kind of feel like you have superpowers for a little bit, just being able to gas people for like an ending at a time rather than kind of hold stuff back or mix up your repertoire a little bit more. And then how, at this point in your career, I've been relieving for a long time. What kind of adjustments do you think you've made fully over the years to kind of understand that role more? Yeah. Um, yeah. Letting it, just going out there and quote unquote, my, I had a bullpen coach or a, a pitching coach 
uh, in AAA named Stu Clyburn. He'd say, "Go kick up dust." He's from uh, <laughs> he's from Mississippi, so he you just play that in your head. Um, yep, man of catchphrases. <laughs> Anyone who knows Stu knows he's he's uh, he's a meme. He's the best, but he's a meme. Uh, he yeah. So that was that was something that I I didn't know that I was holding back until I got out and had only do one inning. And uh, I remember the first time I went out, I was just kind of at my top, usually at ninety four, ninety five, um, and. I always hold my velocity well. Like my my range of velo, even as a starter, was like a two mile an hour difference. I had uh, guys I'd play with who'd be like ninety two to ninety nine, right? They could out of nowhere, um, and that would them hold back, and then they would just let one eat like a bullpen guy. And I didn't know what letting one eat meant. Um, really, I thought like ninety five, ninety six was good, really hard. That's hard and good, and I have I throw hard. I'm not like a soft thrower. I'm just not like ninety five every pitch, and then. Uh, like four or five outings in, I'm like five, six, five, seven, and then I hit sevens, and everyone's like, dude, what is going on? And I was blow, I could blow 94 past guys because I threw up and I threw had carry. I didn't know why, but I always, I've always been a big strikeout guy. I'm like, I had one time in high, or one, one time in high, I struck out like 14 per nine for the entire season and, and as throwing ni- low 90s, low to mid 90s. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't dominant in a way that a lot of other guys were dominant. So, uh, it just was kind of happening. So I had something. It played harder. And then when I actually started throwing harder, I was like, now it's playing really hard. And I, and I started getting those same starts, uh, same types of swings and misses. So big adjustment. It was a big adjustment at first, but then I realized I like this more because I got to go out and get three guys out usually. Um, and that made my job simpler. And when I made my job simpler, um, I was able to pare down what I needed to throw and how I needed to throw it. And then add the velocity in there. It was very easy to make the decision that fastballs were going to be thrown quite a bit. So um, it's it, it basically just narrowed down my repertoire and made me had to figure out how to um, just get those guys out one time. And once I bought into that, um, preparing every single day was something that I was already really good at. So that translated easily. Like that wasn't changing my routine and stuff wasn't a problem at all. It was just mentally preparing day in and day out, not getting those days where I could literally just check out during the game. I do miss that a little bit sometimes, because sometimes <laughs> you're like, I just don't want to have to like get myself up today. I just don't have it in me. Those days happen, and that those days suck. But um, for the most part, I, I do enjoy uh, uh, relieving more than I like starting, even though starters make, on average, five to ten times more money. Than really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. And then, like, on, on our podcast, we always talk about our boy Jeremy Hefner. James has got a Jeremy Hefner jersey. Might be one of the only ones out there for a pitching coach. And, of course, you had a little relationship, of course, with him in Minnesota as well. Uh, what kind of impact does Jeremy Hefner make with the pitching staff? Because it honestly feels like everybody who ever comes in contact with him just becomes a better pitcher, it seems like. And beams when talking about him. He's, uh, he's, he's a great guy, first of all. Really, really down to earth. Really easy to talk to. And he's really, he loves, loves, loves when you approach with something. Like, you have a topic to talk about. You have something you want to try. You, like, that's his, like, he's like, yes. I, like, even, even when I was like, hey, I want to do these vlogs and stuff. Do you? And he was like, can I be in them? Can I, like, can I be on the camera? Like, <laughs> like, other pitching coaches might be like, mm, yeah, it's fine, but I'm not really. He just gets it. He just understands, like, where we're at and where things are going. And, um, He's also he has enough experience now in the analytics side and in the pitching. He was a player. 
He uh, uh, was analytic, had an analytics job for years and then was a bullpen guy. So he's been with the players. He's really good at bridging the gap between the players and giving them the information they need to go. Need. I love that he comes and sits with me after every single outing and talks, like, lets me just vent to him or, or if I'm pissed off about something or, like, let me hits me with, like, oh, this was good, this worked good. And we'll just, I literally, we'll retro our, the outing, like, during why we're hitting the next inning um and but we have me and him have become really good friends over the years also i think that he he helped me make that transition into fastballs up reliever like my figuring out what what's most effective for me and being the bridge between me and josh call who was the head analyst guy over at uh minnesota who has since then come out of a shell a lot now he's very approachable and like he people can have the conversation straight up with him we did you don't need the middleman as much anymore uh but uh so i've gotten really comfortable with not only uh, uh, Hef, but like all the analytics guys as well, because they're also close uh, contact. And like, so I'm I'm more intimate with like their process, which helps me figure things out faster. Um, so there's we're, we're you know like well, we don't need to go through people all the time when we're going to change something or try throwing sliders more. I can just go straight to them, and I know that that Hef can stand there. We're all on the same page. So that's the biggest thing for me, at least doing my job. I love that, and that's how my brain works too. So we're very similar in that. Um, but at the same time, I also think that this is something that he did so well last year that I don't think anyone mentions and that needs to be mentioned. We talked about how guys, there was a little bit of turnover in the pen sometimes. Yeah, we had about three spots that were turning over with injuries and stuff, but there was five of us that were there the whole time. We all threw mid sixties or more. We threw like 65 to 70 appearances, all of us. And five guys in a pen that broke with the team to all throw 65 times is unheard of. People do not understand. That's more than half your bullpen being there the whole time. Me, Shug, Fama had a, a, a 10 days DL stent for his hip um, with, a, with, a, with a sick day in there too. So he like, he, he it timed it perfectly, but he literally went only those 10 days, came back, pitched that day up, and that's it. So he's the only one who missed any time. Loopy, uh, 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 and then when Lugo was there, the whole whatever, he was healthy the whole time. Um, even coming off the bone spurs and stuff, which isn't easy, uh, getting getting needing time off from stuff like that. He's a gamer, uh, um, and and Miggy Castro, uh, and so all of us were just game. We were there, we were ready to go, and uh, Half had a huge uh, part to do with that because we were all so comfortable being like Half. Listen, listen, hear me out here. Today, you might want to pitch someone else, and he would be very <laughs> quick. And Louis also very open to that, like. Just tell me. We'll just say, okay, unavailable, and we will go. And and guys picked each other up for the most part all year. Everyone had everyone had really solid – I would say no one – the worst anyone did was just – was was would be considered a good year for them. So I think that everyone came out of there like, I had a good year. I'm good. And then Loopy was like, eh, it was okay. But everyone else was like <laughs> – was, was happy with the progress they made and, th- and the things they did and how they were used and how their workload, all of us. Um, and we felt like we were positioned that it had we gone to a playoff run or whatever, we would have had enough in the tank that we would have been able to continue stuff-wise to, to compete through, all the way through. I know my last outing, I'm, I was throwing just as hard as it was in the middle of the year, um, and all the stuff felt good. Um, and so that's a good sign. So half has a lot to do with that, and that's a high priority for him. So being a pitcher for him is, is a good situation. He's a big reason that I came over to the Mets. Yeah, I didn't mean to offend before. I just meant like the modern baseball bullpen has a, uh, you know, consistent turnover with the guys. Oh, no, no, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. yeah no, I totally get it. Uh, maybe I took the tone a little bit. Yeah, that's that's just <laughs> the way it is uh, um, for sure. And, and that's 
just that's going to happen everywhere. There's there's no way yeah. to, to avoid it. The Mets bullpen was incredible last year. We said over and over again on this show that it was probably the strength of the team. And the one thing that after, of course, Jake went down, the one thing that kept the team very together and in winning a lot of close baseball games for much of the summer when things were still going very well. But the bullpen's always going to get the shit end of the stick in terms of Twitter, the media, TV, all the common fans, everything. You're always going to get completely just trash for almost no reason. Do you... How do you deal with those frustrations when people don't think you do your job when really you and all those guys you mentioned basically had some of the best years of your career? And also, do you think that is exacerbated just being in New York, coming from a smaller market to a bigger one? Yeah, it's everything. Every single thing is exacerbated by going to New York, like everything, which that sounds like a negative thing. It's just the way there's just more people like there's just more people and and. New York is the epitome of of the Northeast, you know, like uh, basically the North, the, the Northeast just radiates out from New York City. So yeah. uh, passion is the epicenter of passion for anything. The, 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 no matter how good your sports team is, there is a group of people that will, will literally do anything for them there. No matter, you could lose every, everyone loves, there's still tons of Jets fans, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> exactly. You guys lo- like... I, I, it's, it's just, it's just the way of life, and that's the way it is. Like, and then, and that's, that's, that's good in way more ways than it's not. Um, being a player, yes, it can get overwhelming. Yes, there can be, you, you, you can feel the need. Like, I feel the need to def- want to defend myself a lot because um, I'm realizing this a lot about myself. Being respected as a world class player uh, is important to me. It's a major part of our identities because we literally have done it every mo- minute of every day for like since I was four. So like, <laughs> yeah, I want respect for being good at what I do because I've done it for 30, almost 30 years. Right. Uh, but at the same time, social media, like that's not, how, that stuff doesn't come through. Like you can't determine respect based on one sentence. So you just can't. So like most of the time people aren't actually upset. They're just saying it because they can that's the vast majority of stuff. So once you realize that stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, because I go out there and I put my whole, I wake up in the morning and the first thought I have is like, okay, I got to pitch later. That's like my whole life. So I just ramp up in like, kind of like this anticipation of pitching all day. So I'm a, I, I feel my emotions very strongly. Always have my whole life. I just, I get very, it's something I've had to work on a lot to do what I do because that's not compatible most of the time. And so like when things go bad, I feel it maybe a little stronger than a lot of people. And the other way I get really happy and excited about things when I, when I get into them. Uh, and so that's hard enough already. And then, um, be that those emotions being fueled by other people with really strong emotions, a lot of people with a lot of really strong emotions getting together, things can just kind of get a mind, get a mind of their own snowball. So I've, I've tried to implement things where I don't see as much and I don't, like I have my, I got my own, I got enough fuel. I don't need more fuel. Uh, but at the end of the day, you win. Like everyone says, you win here. You're never going to pay for a ice cream cone ever again in this city. You know, like the, <laughs> the, the, it's the trade, it's the infinite, it's the baseball trade-off. Yes. You can go play professional baseball and you have a 0.1% chance of making any real money. But if you do, you're going to be really glad you did type of thing. It's just high risk. But very very high reward, and you just got to deal with the stuff. You got to you got to implement strategies to deal with it as best you can, and thrive in your life, and not just survive. Get through it, and then hope that you know it's better next time. Uh, uh, it's it's important to to enjoy it in, in any way you can, um, and that's why I do things like this. 
because I think that this is when I'm done playing, no one's going to want me to come on their pod. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about nobody. Maybe. To be fair. Yeah. Well, maybe as a talking head, but not, you know, once you're not a player, people don't ask you about player stuff that much anymore. And, and that don't take that for granted. So I'm just trying to, just trying to enjoy my time and play baseball, be a baseball player uh, as long as I can while I still really love it. And then when the time comes, the time comes. But uh, um, I, I, no matter what happens this coming season as a, in a contract year, no matter what happens in the future, being a New York Met is something I'm going to have a New York Mets jersey with May on the back of it on my wall for the rest of my life. And it's going to be a major point of pride no matter how good the team is, no matter what shenanigans happen, no matter how much the fans hate or love me because, frankly – it's going to be one or the other, and there's, it's a split group now. A lot of people hate me uh, for whatever reason they, they have, and that's just the way things are. But um, I, I, I'm never going to regret being putting on that jersey because, uh, first of all, the color combo is, I think, the best in the major leagues. But uh, secondly, uh, um, it's, it's New York, man. You played for a New York team. Like, that's just – like. You know, in, in European football, like, you know, if you if you even if you were just a slapdick, but you're on Real Madrid or you're on Man, Man City or you're on uh, a Juventus. Right. That's like Mecca for those countries, like to be a player on those, even if you didn't do anything, you're still going to remember that forever. So like New York is, is that the Mets are one of those teams like that's you put New York on the front of your jersey. I'm going to show my kids when I don't have any kids yet, but when I do, they're going to be like, you, you played for. <laughs> and, and I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be a whole side of my life that they never even experienced, and it's gonna be awesome to tell those stories when I'm when I'm old. So, well, I I think you kind of answered my next question, but I was gonna talk about like you know how does it feel to play in New York, especially when you have an owner like Steve Cohen who's put like very high expectations with the team, brought in a new manager and Buck Showalter who's obviously here to win now, bringing in players like Scherzer. Like, do you feel that as a player? Is that something that like? maybe adds a little weight to your shoulder or is this something that really motivates you like oh we're going for it now this is exactly where i wanted to be i'm pumped for this upcoming season that is i think that goes a lot farther that's great it's just great um when an owner shows and i said this when i signed and i said this said this ever since no matter you know all the stuff and all the things that everyone's always talking about with the weird controversy stuff and the other, like whatever at the end of the day man like steve steve is a mets fan he wants his team to win and he's willing to at least put resources like go throw the 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 briefcase on the table and let's what can we do with this because like as we've seen pretty much all the other ones there's only there's a few that are like that other ones there are others aren't, aren't willing to do that it's not their main thing like i said their side hustle other people don't like their side hustle as much as steve liked his uh and and that gives you that gives you like motivation it lights fire you're like okay Look at all this. Let's like let's not waste this. Like, how can we do this the best of our ability? So, having the resources, knowing that they're they're there and available, um, it, it gets your brain going. Because how are you supposed to be creative with how you're going to get things done if you don't even have the resources to do it? So, the way that it fires fans up, it also fires up us up in a, in a very similar way. And I can only imagine what it's like for because I didn't come up through this organization. A lot of these guys coming up through it though. It could be, I think it gets really, really exciting for them. One, because there's an opportunity to like, yeah, like I could be a Met for life. And, you know, because there's a lot of people that come up with like a, a smaller market team. They're like, even if like it's very, even if I'm the best player that's ever been in this organization, it's still a really low opportunity for me to be on this team for my whole career. Like yeah. 
Joe Mauer is the only guy for the Twins. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's not going to be another one for very long. They're not going to give it. Unless, and that's because he's Joe Mauer and he's from that city. Mr. Minnesota. Mr. Minnesota. Like, he had, that was the only way that he was going to get a, a, career, a career, be a career uh, twin. Uh, it was just the way that it is. Like, they just don't have the money to make those things happen. The Mets do. And all these young guys um, who, who could be potential stars, um, um, you know, like, they, see, they, they get excited, too, because, like, he wants to win. And if I get up there, I could get an opportunity, a real opportunity to, um, to set myself up, too, to be in this organization for my whole career as well. So that's, that's something also that's unique that I, I'm thinking from a player's expect, or, uh, perspective that would be exciting um, – um, on a, at a very high level, I think that was, that was that was such a great answer. That was like amazing to hear from a fan, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something that we definitely love to hear as Mets fans. Yeah. Okay, so probably honestly going to be like the last baseball related question. Then we're going to lighten up here as we start to wrap it up. Toughest guy to get out in the NL East. Uh, we're going to include Freddie Freeman. Technically, he's a free agent, but we'll just include him for this the point of this conversation. Which guy would you say is your toughest out in the NL East? Toughest out. Um, I mean Soto. That's yeah. a good kind answer. Soto would probably just barely edge out Freddie. Just barely. Do you have a righty? Uh, I mean, last year was Riley for me. I just... yeah, and to God, be honest, I'm supposed to be a good matchup with him, and I just won. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, who's another right? Oh, uh, I let's. We got to give credit where credit's due. Jesus Aguilar's. Uh, Not only that, that guy. That guy loves. He's like, oh, you throw 101. Watch me. Watch me. Try to keep this fat or fair, right? Like <laughs> you throw hard, he wants so bad to get around on your 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 ninety eight, ninety nine. Like and that that like you could see it in his eyes. He loves he loves that challenge. And so when you get guys like that who are like Soto's very much the same way. Like good luck getting by me, right? Mickey Cabrera, like you throw yeah. you throw ninety nine away. He'd hit it, just barely touch it out of the glove. The catcher wouldn't catch it, drop it, and then he'd look at you like, "Try, try again." You're like, "Give me another pitch." <laughs> and he knows you're frustrated, and he's like playing the game. He's having a good time. Uh, and then uh, probably in that like one B tier, I'd throw like Acuna, um, the guys who are like, you know, big damage guys that like yeah. you don't you can you can you can be okay if you're not making a lot of mistakes, but if you're having a mistake day, you really don't want to see him walk up there, um, um, like Albies. Uh, mm. um, he, he, you got to give him the props too. Cause he had a really, really good year last year. Uh, Great year. um, yeah. Acuna Albies, uh, uh, and then I'm trying to think like a, a Marlin. <laughs> we have a big Marlins fan friend. You're, you're making him so happy right now here that you want to list a Marlins player and Jesus Aguilar. You, you yeah, send him to the moon. Player. <laughs> I think, I think Chisholm's quickly, eh, he's getting into that, that territory where like, you're like, okay. Let's be a little careful. Let's not him let him beat us in at least in that lineup for not right now. Mark and I were at the game last year, the when it was Rod, uh, Jake versus Trevor Rogers. That one nothing like muggy April afternoon when the only run was the Jazz um O two fastball he put out in the ground. We were sitting there like, Holy, this guy's this guy really has it. Yeah. He he went he sold out. He tried to get me like that too later in the season. Uh threw a heater <laughs> up and in and it was above the zone. He tried to go and get it first pitch. Uh that was O two though, wasn't it? Uh, the Jake one was O two. Jake one was O two. Yeah. So like that's just, it's so funny. Jake that never things don't go against Jake often, but like he does have a lot of those like pitch eight inch above the zone like homers. And he, oh yeah. He, and then the the slider down and into Tapia or was uh, was Dude, it the Rockies game? The Rockies game. I'm like, what the hell? Did you even <laughs> yeah. Like so he gave like what four homers or three homers or something and like they were all like <laughs> we could list all of them <laughs> and no one, and no one had any business hitting those pitches 
So it's like it's because, but then again, the ones they do have business hitting, he just blows by them. So I guess it's a trade off. It's baseball. Like no one's like no one ever gets them all right. Even Jake. Does Jake know how good he yes. is? Yeah. So like when you're around him, is that something that's like he's he's really mo- he's really modest. Like he doesn't like talk about it ever. He never mentions a stat. But uh, he, <laughs> that he'll makes do, sense. He'll do the thing like simple man. Uh, so we were in Arizona and they were like, of course, just ranting and raving. We're 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 all in. I think I'm done. I'm either done pitching. No, no, no. It's early in the early in the game. Uh, it's like the second inning. We go out in the fourth. Uh, three of us do. Me, it was me, Loopy, and Diaz would go out a little bit later. And uh, and Jake's sitting there, just like inside. He was. Uh, he came in to see a trainer and like was just sitting uh, watching the game. And they were ta- the commentators were on their commentators and like Jake Grom did this, this, and he's done this, and he's just is he? And they were just having like, is he the best player in the in pitcher? And then the other guy was like. It's not even close. Everyone, everyone talks about him and Garrett, and I think right now Jake is is miles like he's doing something that we've never seen, and yeah. he goes, he's just he's just incredible, and I anticipate him being you know the best ever. And then he like we're like we all look at, like roll our eyes and look at him. And he goes, he goes, <laughs> give us a little shove, and he's right. And that's the first time uh-huh. I, ever, I I lost it. It was hilarious because he's, <laughs> he's like he's not wrong. Like and it was oh really God. funny. But that's that's, really that's as much as you're gonna get. He's never gonna be like. He won't walk up to you and be like, ha, ha, fourteen punches again, and walk off. Like, <laughs> and there are guys that will do stuff like that. Like, ha, ha took him deep again. The guy sucks. Uh, uh, he's not one of those. No. Would you say because last year you started vlogging during games? Would you say that a lot of the players now are probably a little more receptive than maybe what it would have been like a few years ago? Like, what's the whole, I guess, attitude and environment with like you being so socially media forward with everything? Like, I- I'm assuming there has to be some guys that probably want to keep to themselves, but uh, definitely, I mean, we saw like Stroman was super active as well on social media last year too. Like how do, how was, how was it received? Like with what you were trying to do in terms of like pushing forward your brand? A lot of guys were really, really open to it. Uh, like KP, KP Stro, um, uh, Nito was like a little kid, like in a home <laughs> video, just He's popping so up. And I'm like, dude, you're being really weird. And then I, I was like, all right, you can be in the front of the camera. And he's like, oh, he panicked. Uh, Lucchese <laughs> uh, was open to it. I loved it. He let me do the explain the churve thing, and he came in and did it. <laughs> that was so awesome that he was open for that because he's not, he's not the guy who's like a pro. He's not looking for media opportunities. But like he said yes to me because we're buds, which was awesome. Um, and Jake, Jake's more of the private. He, you know, he 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 wants to do as little media stuff as possible. And it's just how how he is. It's not like that. He hates media. He just it's not comfortable. It's just not yeah. a comfortable thing. He'll do the the basic stuff. It's just not his. Yeah, but he's chill. He's chilling. He wants to go wakeboarding. He doesn't want to, <laughs> or just go hang out at the beach or do some manual labor or like work around the property. Like that's manual labor. <laughs> he does. He like clears. The, I guess he clears the brush on his own property and does like because it's just like he likes it and it's cathartic and it's like what he enjoys to do and it's how he grew up and that's awesome. I lo- I think that's awesome. And I'm very much the other way. And I, there's 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 I'm realizing how many things that I am attached to social media and stuff that maybe don't need to be. So like I'm even <laughs> trying to be more controlled with it not just like think how can this go and be content all the time but most guys were were really really open to it um i'm i'm more of a be a little bit cautious first and then like push things as i get more comfortable and so that's why we saw like a little bit more of other other people as the vlogs went on um the one interesting thing i like i have no idea how max is gonna feel right yeah so it's probably something i'm like hey i bring a camera around like a couple times a month like for a day 
do you have an issue with those? Because I don't know. Like I, you know, I, I he he could have not wanted anything to do with the Bauer one. I don't know. Yeah. I genuinely don't know. So I try to have be open and have those conversations. Be like, do you if you dude if you're like dude, I really hate that. I'm like you will be. I will be nowhere near you with it. Then I will just make yeah. sure. And if you are, I won't even have you in the background. It, just tell me. And when I did that, most guys were like, oh. They weren't worried about it. And then most guys were willing to just give like one of these when we walk by. Even Mike, and then Pete's like, can I be like, can we do like, you know, Pete, he's like, can I do more stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I'll mic you up and have you dive around, which was one of the funniest things ever. I think that should have got more play than it did. Um, but uh, yeah, so guys are coming around on it. I, I, I want to do more. And after baseball, I want to do, you know, Mark, you and I have talked about this. I want to do a lot more of those yeah. types of things. Uh, anyways, I think that's going to be the future of my baseball affiliation, uh, at least making content around sports, whether it's commentating or whatever. So it all kind of just comes together like that. And then in terms of gaming, obviously, you know, big on Twitch, you got your gaming YouTube channel. I've been doing Minecraft a little bit recently, but and a lot of people found out about you, I guess, through the gaming side when you're playing you know, Fortnite and Call of Duty and stuff. So who on the Mets is like also, I guess, maybe not as big of a gamer as you, but who, who games with you? You game with any of the guys? Is that like something you guys do on the road? You play video games? Like, is, is that a thing? It's weird. Most guys play after the game to, to wind down and that's when i don't want to play games <laughs> so we actually don't line up a lot with like when we're playing most guys play call of duty uh um and they bring their their and their console they play on consoles so um the issue i have especially on the road is i play mouse and keyboard all shooters and every desk is different heights and the the internets are different speeds and that stuff i'm i'm very cognizant of those things so it ruins my experience very quickly if like the internet <laughs> connection sucks or like i'm like playing like way high up or the the desk chair is super uncomfortable and i want to do something a little more passive something that's like a strategy game or something where i don't have to aim i don't have to be so pinpoint uh, so i tend to play those and then we have very few guys to play that stuff uh and the show is a good one that can can translate fortunately it's baseball again yeah <laughs> yorme is like world class he 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 destroys uh, Dimu constantly. I guess they, yeah. they've ran into each other like four or five times, and he's beat him every time. And he's like, dude, I keep – but I'm like I, – I told Dimmu too. I was like, dude, you got to know that Yormi opens like 500 packs a day. He's got every <laughs> player in the game. So, like, you're just not going to beat his lineup unless you're up there with him. He's like, well, I'm a content creator. I should have that. I'm like, but think about major league salaries, and all you're doing is buying packs. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like I know Nimmo, Comforto, those guys would play Call of Duty a little bit Warzone. Um, and to be honest, I'm just not really a fan of the, yeah. of, of the Call of Duty. Uh, uh, and I know it's wildly popular. I played it for a while, but it's just it's not my type of battle royale. So um, I and I I know we said we had just played Minecraft uh, recently. It's probably going to be staying for a bit. It's, it's chill. It's got to be nice. You talked about like winding down. Like that's like a very much wind down game. Yeah, not Warzone. I'm a I'm such a nerd. I'm a nerd in ways that, like, lore is really interesting to me. So, like, people watch the Marvel movies or whatever, but I want to know, like, why. Yeah. Right? But, like, I, I'll, I'll go down synopsis and holes and stuff. But I would, Lord of the Rings was my big thing. That whole, the guy, the, the, uh, the whole Tolkien universe and then the story behind how he came up with it all is, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Tolkien movie, but it's, it's extremely interesting on how he, like, came up with it. He's like a, he's a, Got his doctorate in languages. That's and yeah. he made one oh, up. Wow. Like that's what his project was. That turned into that movie or that book series that then turned into the movie. So that is a creative thing that I'm. I've always been interested in. How create? Like how do you even come? How do you create a world in your head? I, that's crazy to me. 
And so I've, I'm a terrible writer and uh, I've always, I've tried to write a book, like a fan, like a, like a fiction book, like four or five times in my life, like when I was younger and I'm just not a good writer. I'd read it back and I'm like, oh, this is awful. I don't want to. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, so I made music for a long time. I, I've always looked for a creative outlet. That's why I started streaming because I can be creative and funny and goofy and like think of, come up with good ideas and see if I can execute them. That dynamic I really, really love. And then, so then I started playing Minecraft, which is just a sandbox game and you can do whatever you want. So I'm literally right now created creating world and then I'm like writing lore in the background along with it. Like Ooh. so basically it gave me a template like these are the things that how the game works. How can you make up why they're like that? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And so I just kept pulling on the thread and I just keep going. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know why I'm having so much fun. It's the nerdiest thing I've ever done, but I'm literally writing like a whole like just riding along and then I'm like building the thing and then riding along and then building things like how, why, why is this here? And what, and, and it's just allowed me to be really creative and baseball doesn't let you get to be very creative. It's the same thing every day. So, um, I'm realizing that that's something that I really wanted in my life. Uh, and, uh, it's scratching that itch. I don't know if I'm ever going to share the whole thing. I don't know if I'm going to ever put it in the book or, or put it anywhere. I don't know. It's for me. It could be for me, but it's, I, I work on it. I'm smiling the whole time. I think that's worth it. So that's why I'm playing that game so much. But there is a series I'm doing where I'm showing that world that I'm building. Uh, if anyone's interested, in it. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, we got, there's only like three episodes out, two episodes out, but I've recorded 10. Oh, so they're perfect. coming. That's a great teaser for all the messed up listeners. You mentioned the music. Is, are we ever going to see DJ Hey Beef again? I have a set of turntables at the field. I, I dropped the ball <laughs> last year. I only did it like twice. Yeah. They were just sitting there in, and, and, and Lindor bought us speakers like, good ones and he's like dude i bought those for you never even use them i'm like yeah i kind of feel bad about that uh <laughs> but i left it and i would love to get i busted out my music stuff recently too or like this off season a bit and started to dabble in producing again because i love uh having an idea and trying to make it happen um unfortunately i'm gonna have to relearn a lot of stuff and that's again time consuming and now i have all these other things that i'm into like i said i get really excited and i get way into stuff um so we'll see but i think that the djing at least i have the i have all the music and everything it's all ready to go so like that should be very easy there's no setup usually that's what kills me uh so i'm gonna try to do that more maybe do it learn instead of shagging at bp just play the music behind the <laughs> whatever and and just practice and make it a whole thing and i don't know that's one of those things i was talking about earlier just having fun at the game it doesn't always have to be like me doing baseball stuff i could just be to bring another hobby of mine into the field and share it with people and uh, fit it in somehow. Um, and I think that's a really interesting way to make clubhouse, keep clubhouses light and have fun and, and just make the monotony because it's every day and it gets some days you're like, <sighs> I mean, I love baseball. It's day one fifteen, and We still have 50 left, you know, like yeah. sometimes those days happen and you got to find a way to well, get excited again. So that might help maybe. Now, we're coming up here on an hour. We don't want to keep you too much longer. You talked about being so creative. You talked about having fun with baseball. And you've done such a great job marketing yourself. If you had to market baseball, what would be something maybe that you would change or something that you would focus more on to help grow this sport? Because we've seen the growth recently in the last few years, but it seems like there still can be more. It seems like we're still missing that next big big leap forward. Yeah, I think that one, the thing that's grown is the amount of money that companies are willing to pay in Major League Baseball to be affiliated that's the growth we're seeing but in terms of eyeballs which at the end of the day and every entertainment industry has to focus on eyeballs um and, and bring them in and continue to have turnover as 
people age out of things or get like stop watching baseball so much because they're older and they don't do that anymore. Um, I mean, that's kind of how what's helped the game stay or, or stay healthy is because the older you get, baseball actually gets easier to watch, a little bit more laid back, uh, nightly ritual when you're not going out and doing stuff as much. You're in retirement age, so watching baseball actually makes a lot of sense, your nightly ritual. Um, and so we got to get it in front of the people who are younger and get it part of their routine. And swiping is their routine. So, um, yes, we have lots of major league baseball channels. They, they have a TikTok and they have a, they have the channels, right? But people aren't going to search for the official channel. What they want is people, the community building content, like taking up something and memifying it and then having that just get a life of its own. And then everyone's talking about it. That's, that's how things, that's how media works now. Um, at least amongst the age group that they want to meet. And we do a terrible job of that because unfortunately, um, if you if that's the way you democratize content and let it continue to sp- spread organically, you you relinquish some of the control over that IP and they don't yeah. want to relinquish any control over any IP because they can get paid up front in those big deals that we're talking about before. So they feel like they're relinquishing leverage again, which we see that theme a lot. And they're not, that's just, the group, the hive mind, the group of people that makes those decisions, that is not something that they like that's uncomfortable. They don't like to do that. They don't like proposing it to other people who are above them, namely the owners of the teams that yep. are also old school and have made their money in their whole life up front. It's been a front paywall type situation. I get the money first, and then we give you the product, right? When in reality, you can get give stuff for free. This is how the economy is starting to shift, and then you get the you can there's you get the potential to scale more than that paywall would have ever scaled. So one's more linear and steady, the other one's possibly hockey stick. We got to go back into the hockey stick way, not back into it. We need to get into it a little bit more. We need to we need to I think help people like you guys um, who are spreading the game their passion for baseball in those uh, modern channels and and it doesn't even I don't even I don't even feel like it needs to be like a you're partnered with the MLB because they want to do that even like no just like. Here's some stuff. Go to see what you do with it. And then if you get to a certain size, then we can do stuff together, bring you in to be a guest commentator and stuff. And and because uh, the people you guys reach are younger. And yeah. uh, people who play MLB The Show, for example, they're younger. Uh, they Very should be much. pushing that really, really hard during tournaments and things. I don't, uh, uh, like Madden and the NFL did. They, the Madden League and the NFL would host that the, the, the championships, right? Um, that was big for they used to ride that bus across the country and play in the, until they got to Times Square. Exactly. Like, it was a big event, and, and it, it, it wasn't about even bringing gamers in. It was just like, they're younger. They, they, rep, they show off their love for the game by playing the video game. Like, they know all the players, and they watch football, too. It's not, they're not just gamers that were, like, trying to cross over. It's, they're fans of the game. That's just one of the ways that they represent their fandom. We need to do more of that stuff. Um, but I think it starts with getting content in front of eyeballs that are of the age that they're looking for and giving a lot of freedom for people who are willing to make the content around because it's mutually beneficial you're spreading their content while at the same time growing yourself and that is how that's how the 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 media economy works now and we're just not we're not leaning into it hard enough at all and uh, unfortunately when tv deals start to dwindle and the nbc's of the world don't have as much power or money because they're, they're dinosaurs um yeah then what do you do when when you do when a major company goes we'll give you one billion dollars to put your games on our (laughs) our channels um and then that just goes away what do you do and so um well 
what you do is you lean hard into gambling, evidently. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. That's a whole nother thing. You know, now now we're putting lots of money, and now now people are losing and gaining money on my performance way more than they used to. So that's making it much, much, much better in the old social landscape. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure with New York legalizing <laughs> sports betting, it just gets a little bit more toxic now with what's going to yeah. happen every single game. Joe from Joe from Staten Island is going to have more to say. I'm going to be honest. Uh, recently, it's been Joe from Trenton. Oh, Trenton's uh, been coming at me hard. I'm like, you guys aren't even in the same state. Why do you hate me so much? It's basically Philadelphia. Disgusting. Yeah, Trenton. <laughs> well, Trevor, just crack me up. Thank you so much for coming on. We talked to you for an hour, probably a little bit longer than we thought we were going to be, but uh, it was an honest pleasure to have you on here as our first Major League Player Representative. Uh, Of course, we bestowed that honor on you at the beginning. Um, Closing remarks here, tell everybody where to find you, all your social media, anything you want to plug, and we appreciate having you on. Besides your lore. Uh, uh, (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Uh, You know, and, and who are we kidding? We went an hour and five minutes because of me. Uh, cause I, I, I talk so much, but thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me kind of go. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I am Trevor May. Uh, I have two YouTube channels. Obviously you guys are the baseball, you know, bigger, bitter baseball fan, fan base probably than the, the video game. So, uh, Trevor May baseball, just Trevor space, may space baseball. We actually have two new videos coming out, uh, very soon there. I've started to ramp that up again. We did a, we did a workout vlog yesterday, just showing, um, showing what I've been doing just to stay in shape with the AWA Wiffle guys who I did a video with recently. They came over and helped me work out or, or play catch with me and stuff, and we're part of that. And then we have a really cool one-on-one series about explaining all the different pitches and what like, – there's six different fastballs. I explain all those and what we mean when we're talking about those. Um, and we'll be the show fans. You'll like that one. And then uh, uh, my other channels, I'm Trevor Man YouTube. Uh, that's the Minecraft series. Um, and if you want to uh, – I made some new social medias just for the Minecraft stuff. So if there's like four people out there like, yo, I would like to see that. Uh, just search Maycrafter on both Instagram and, and, and Twitter because I'm realizing nobody cares on my other Twitter and I'm just not going to talk about it very much. I retweet it every once in a while, but everything else, like as I'm building stuff and coming up with ideas and stuff, I put it all over there as a little bit of a historical do- document. Um, and then Instagram, TrevorMay65, and I'm TrevorMay on TikTok and everything else but Instagram. Instagram is the only one. I'm TrevorMay65. Everything else is I'm TrevorMay. Boom. There it is. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to you soon, maybe during the baseball season maybe if that ever happens. the <laughs> season where there's baseball. Yeah, no, we will. We will. Just have faith, guys. We'll get there. But thanks for having me, guys. You have a good one. That was good. That was that was pretty fun, huh? Yeah, that was really good. I would love to talk to Trevor like almost on a weekly basis. He's super fun, like knowledgeable. He's a great breadth of uh, things he can talk about. It's great to have a conversation like that. Yeah, he was a really, really good interview. Really, really good guest. Got a lot of insight, and I'm super excited to see what he does this year. It was fun to pick his brain too, especially hearing what he had to say about Hefner. I think was really cool because we've been gassing that guy up for a year now. To Absolutely. hear it from the players is awesome. And even just that was a big reason he even wanted to sign with the Mets last year. Also really cool to talk about how proud he is to be a Met and the fact that the Mets are one of those premier franchises in baseball compared them to Real Madrid, yeah. which that's pretty cool. Yeah, he gave us Man City too. It probably meant Man U to be fair. But I mean like – And Juventus, which is also a step back. Turin's not not the best city yeah. in Italy. But think about the the difference in just the Mets' outlook – 
a couple years ago, you'd get the rare guy who would be proud to be a Met, but it's almost like because he grew up a Mets fan, like Brad Brock, who was like, oh, I'm so excited to be a Met. I grew up a Mets fan. Now you're getting guys who grew up in Washington and spent their career with the Twins who are like, I'm with the New York Mets. This is sick. Like, I'm so pumped. Like you said, it was really cool to hear him be proud to be a Met, which I don't think a lot of players aren't proud, but you don't hear it too often. Well, I think just maybe our own minds and like our own perceptions kind of get bogged down by the the wealth of people on Twitter who like to lull Mets and be assholes all the time. I think in reality, a lot of players who are inside, whose opinion actually means something, do find this organization to be prestigious and one that's exciting to be a part of. And that is all we can ask for as Mets fans. Yeah, and uh, make sure you guys go follow Trevor on all his social media. He plugged that just now at the outro. Me and James, Jeter had no range, draft Nick Mark. Thank you guys for listening to episode number 76 of the Messed Up Podcast. Drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Hopefully the next time we talk to you guys, we actually know when baseball is going to start. There, there's a chance. It's a, a, chance. a chance. It's a pretty good chance. We're not going to do another recording until after the 28th. So there we go. And honestly, maybe maybe if baseball does come back quicker, we'll do a, a quick, you know, emergency episode like we do with Max Scherzer. Or a space. Or, ooh, a space. Yeah, maybe we'll throw fire up a space. So, yeah, you definitely need to be following me and James on Twitter, then at DraftNickMark, at Jeter had no range, so you don't miss out on that. Otherwise, we're wrapping it up here, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.